Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the Web Jazzwall Report. Now, many of you have had the experience at some point in your life of buying a new car. It's not the most pleasant of experiences, is it? I personally bought seven cars over the course of my lifetime, and every time I drive out of the showroom, there's always that silent whisper of the devil in my ear that says somehow or the other, I got ripped off. It's always the same feeling. It feels like a prostate exam. Painful, unpleasant, but necessary. In fact, the experience of buying a car is about as welcoming as an ice-cold bedpan. Our guest today can't be revealed because he's a car salesman who's going to give us information on the down low, if you know what I mean. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Ooh, I always wanted to say that. So without further ado, welcome to the show, buddy. Pablo, hey, thank you for having me. Well, sir, let me ask you, why is it so painful buying a car? From a, from a buyer's perspective, you know, very few people ever say anything nice about their car salesman, and there's always a feeling that they're getting ripped off. Why is that? I think this is uh, something that sort of stems from the past. Uh, there was a time when the car sales industry was uh, pretty shady, and definitely people were looking to, to rip off the, the, the customer whenever they came in. Right. But... Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, times, times are different these days because the manufacturers don't want their product associated with a shady dealership. Mm. Well, what are the three things one needs to know before they buy a car? Uh, three tips. Uh, the first one I would say is uh, once you decide on what car you want and you determine that it's within your budget, mm -hmm. get your own financing. Go to whatever, wherever you, you bank uh, whoever has your mortgage, if you're a member of a credit union, anything like that, go down there, tell them what you're trying to do, and get a loan from them. Because if you show up to the dealership with your own interest rate, make the dealership beat the rate that you have. Do they, do they have the, the power to beat that rate? Uh, sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. I'll be honest with you. It depends, it depends what rate you are given. I work at a high-line uh, dealership. So right. we deal with uh, everything from the $60,000 sedan up to the $300,000 supercar. Those mm -hmm. types of companies never offer 0% interest rate. But if you're in the market, let's say for like a Toyota, a Honda, a Volkswagen, uh, the dealership can sometimes beat the rate that you would get. Well, then tell me if I'm wrong, because when I go to buy a car, I think that if I give them uh, the ability to get the loan for me, I might get an overall better deal. Because I'm giving them money through the interest rate. Yes and no. What will happen is, let's say that you have uh, top-tier credit and you qualify for a 2% loan. Mm -hmm. They're going to take the 2% loan from the bank, but then they're going to package it to you and sell it to you at 3% or 3.5 or even 4 the, the monthly payment is still well within your budget that you were looking for, but the dealership actually just made a few thousand dollars off of your ignorance. So they still got you to whatever number you were looking to be at, but in actuality, you could have been lower. But because you didn't know, right. now you're paying more in interest uh, every month. Huh. But if you show up with, let's say, a 2% loan, and now the dealership has to find you a 1.5%, well, then, hey, you're ahead of the game. Because they want you to finance through them. They don't want you to show up with your own rate. But if they can't beat your rate, they'll take your, your loan just because it's a, it's a unit sold. So what are the other two tips? Uh, the other two tips I would tell you is uh, do your own research. Uh, with access to the Internet now, there's no excuse for anyone to show up to the dealership and not know anything about the car they're interested in buying. If you're going to spend 
you know, even if you're going to buy a Toyota Corolla, it's $15,000, $16,000. That's still a considerable amount of money. Well, here's the problem. I've done that before. I've, I've gone and, and taken reference values from the Internet. But the problem I find is whenever I show it to them, they dismiss it. They say, oh, that's just a non-existing rate and, and a non-existing price and so on and so forth. They're always dismissing it. Oh, don't, don't, don't just go to one website. Go, go to many. Find out what the consensus is across the board. Again, it depends what manufacturer you're dealing with. Like, for example, Volkswagen has 0%, mm. where Mercedes doesn't have anything anywhere near 0% ever. Um, see what, what, what rates are out there. Go to the manufacturer's website and see what, what deals they have going on. Make sure you read the fine print at the bottom. No one ever does that. People just see, oh, 0%, uh, no money at signing, everything's good, I'm just going to show up, I'm going I'm to sign some papers, you're going to give me a car, I'm going to walk away. That's usually not the case. Make What's sure you the read catch? The fine print at the bottom. What's the catch in the fine print usually? When it says no money down or no money at signing, that does not include taxes. So when you show up to get your car, right. you might have to fork over three or four thousand dollars in uh, taxes and registration. That's not the dealership ripping you off. That's the government forcing you to pay that money because they want the tax on the on the sale and they they want you to register the car. You can't amortize those figures over the loan? You can, but then the rate that was advertised to you is going to be higher because now it's amortized into the loan and you're going to pay interest on that because you're, you're spreading it out over three, four, or five-year period. Right. So you come in there expecting to pay two ninety nine with no money down. Now the dealership's telling you, okay, great, here's your deal. Give us $3,000. And you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's not what the deal said. And then, But it's because you didn't look at the fine print. Okay, so financing, do your research. Read the fine print, and what's the third tip? Uh, third one I would tell you is don't be afraid to walk out. Just because you, you, you've been here an hour, let's say, yeah. if you don't like the deal, get up and leave. Trust me, the, the salesperson is not going to let you leave unless they've exhausted all opportunity to put you into that car. Those guys get paid on commission. They want the warm bodies in the seat, and once they have you there, they're going to do whatever they have to to try to sell you the car. So if you, if you don't like the deal, get up and leave. The dealerships are not going to play the game where they're going to let you walk out and then call you two hours later. That is, that's usually they, – they don't do that because it's, it's very possible for you to just get up from my desk, go down the street, go to somebody else, and then they sell you the car. So I don't want to run that risk. I'm going to do everything I have to, to make the car fit whatever budget you're trying to be at unless the numbers you're asking for are ridiculous. That's where the research comes in. Now, in this whole negotiation process, there are so many variables. One of the variables I notice is this thing called MSRP, and then you have the invoice price. I've never right. seen two prices for a product except when I'm buying a car. So can you explain well, to me why they have this and what each of them means? Sure. The MSRP is essentially the retail price. It's the same whether you go to Best Buy, you go to Lamborghini, you go to the Apple store. Those, the, the store that you are actually doing the shopping has the price that the manufacturer is telling them to sell it for. The invoice price is what the retailer bought the product for. So obviously it doesn't make too much sense for a car dealership or Apple or Best Buy or Samsung or whoever to sell you the product at the same price that they paid for. They're always going to try to sell it to you for more. Now the MSRP is what the manufacturer suggests that the dealer sell the car for. So let me get this right. No one pays MSRP. Uh, you'd be surprised. 
It's a small percentage. Some people do. Okay, well, the majority don't pay MSRP. The majority, the majority do not pay it, no. And you can't get it for the invoice price? You can if you play the game the right way. Okay, if how you do you do, play the game? Sure. Let's say someone comes in and it's a somewhat busy day at the dealership and I have to answer 40 questions. I have to test drive three different cars with you. Uh, you're not sure what you want. Uh, you're not sure what color you want. I have to take you over to the lot, show you a bunch of colors. There's no way I'm giving you an invoice deal because you're taking up too much of my time. As a, any type of commission job, there's only X number of time, hours in the day. So that means I can only meet with X number of people. And if you're taking up four or five hours of my time, I have to make some kind of money off of you because I, you're, it's less people that I can sit with. But let's say you come in and you're like, hey, hey, buddy, I did my research. I want car X. I want these options. I'm open to this color, this color, or this color. I want to pay this. Take it or leave it. I'm going to crunch the numbers. If the deal makes sense, I might take it. If it's too much of a discount for me, I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to say, hey, uh, I've got this guy at my desk. This is what he wants. Do you want it? Yes or no? Uh, sometimes they take those deals because you've only been at my desk 10 minutes. I haven't, had to re- I haven't really had to do any kind of work. The car is in stock. I come back. I'm like, hey, Mr. So-and-so, hey, I'll tell you what. I can't do that deal. When do you want to take the car? I'll be ready for you in two hours. That's, that's how you get an invoice deal. But if you come in and you have a lot of questions, you want to test drive all types of cars, they're not, they're not going to give you an invoice deal. That's strange because, you know, if you're coming in and, and you obviously need to do your research, not just on the Internet, but you need to get the feel of the car and, and, and see what the room is like inside, how, how comfortable you feel. It's, it's very natural for a buyer no, to do that. that. And there's nothing wrong with test driving a car. But I've had people that come in mm. and they want to test drive an SUV and then they want to test drive a convertible, and then they want to test drive a sedan. Obviously, those are three different types of cars. Right. You know what I mean? That's a person right off the bat that, to me, they want a car, but they don't know what they want. So that means I'm already going to have to invest a lot of time into, into you. And in order for me to do that, I need to feel like it's going to be some sort of incentive for me. But if you're going to be a, a very hard-nosed negotiator, the key to success for you is to get all the questions answered at home. Hmm. Come in and test drive the car. Test drive, you know, five or ten minutes. That's, that's no problem. But know what the mouse reality is on the car. Know what options come or, you know, what items come with whatever options. Know what colors you're open to. Know what configuration of the car you want, whether it's a sedan, coupe, convertible, a hatchback, whatever it is. Have all that sort of done. And then when you show up, you just want to maybe see the car in person, maybe take it for a quick spin around the block or on the highway or whatever. And then let's go back to my desk. You give me whatever number you, you, you know you're ready to, to make a deal on, and let's go from there. So you gave me a scenario that, you know, I walk in, it's a busy day, and if I start asking too many questions and, and, and requesting too many favors. So then that leads me to ask you, when's the best time to buy a car, i.e. when it's not busy? So when's the best time? Uh, there's, there's a consensus out there at the end of the month that sometimes that's just made up. That's actually true. The end of the month is usually the best time to buy a car uh, for many reasons. Mm. One, the dealership might have a specific sales goal they're trying to hit. Like, they're trying to sell 300 cars. Right. They're at 287, and they have a few people in their showroom, and there's a couple people that the salespeople have to get back to on the phone. That's the time to strike. 
Don't wait until the last day of the month. Come in maybe two or three days before. The last day of the month is usually chaotic, and people don't want to sit with the guy that's going to take two or three hours. Because if it's the last day of the month, I still need two cars to hit whatever my, my bonus goal is. I want I want two easy layups. You know what I mean? I want you to come in, know what you're looking for. I give it to you. I send you over to finance. You go on your way, and then I move on to the next guy. But maybe two or three days before the end of the month, and if especially if it's bad weather outside. Take today, for example. In the metropolitan area, New York City metropolitan area, it's raining, it's kind of cold. No one's in dealerships today. Today's great, the great day to buy a convertible. Yeah, yeah. Today's the day. You go out there, uh, you'll you'll get sometimes it may even blow invoice on a deal. What's a blue There's invoice? No one in the dealership. They're not selling any cars. They want to sell cars every day. Oh, you meant below invoice? Okay. Yeah. So at below invoice, then where's the money for the seller? Uh, well, again, it depends where you work. High end, high end dealerships typically have a flat commission for the salespeople. Right. So, for example, in my case, I get a few hundred dollars whether I sold the car to you below invoice or anything up to a thousand dollars over invoice. So, for me personally, if you come in and you offer right off the bat, like, hey, I'm I'm comfortable paying five hundred dollars below invoice, and you know what that number is already, hey, great, no problem. Because to me, I make the same money whether I sell it to you five hundred below invoice or nine hundred and ninety nine dollars over invoice. So for me personally, I don't care. Now but what if I if I unsure between two makes, between a Honda and a Toyota. Okay. They both suit my needs. They're roughly in the same price range. Mm-hmm. Uh, or let's say Toyota and Toyota. If I go to one Toyota dealer, knock him down as much as I can, then walk out and then take that quote to the other guy and see can you match that? Yeah, sure. A lot a lot of people do that. A lot of people do that. Um, the difference, like, the problem with that, though, is that if you take the quote and you go to the other guy, mm. he's not going to be substantially lower than the quote they gave you. Right. He's going to be five, ten bucks a month, maybe, or maybe he knocks a couple hundred dollars off at signing, something like that. But mm-hmm. he's not going to blow your socks off with the, the quote that you're going to give him because he knows that that person, the dealership that you came from, tried everything to get you to get the car, and you didn't. You're just looking to get this deal beat, so I'm going to beat it by five, ten dollars, something like that, and that's it. Now, if you're changing completely different uh, manufacturers, or let's say you go the last day of the month, and then the next month, like the very next day, which is the you know the, the next month, right. you go again to another dealership. At that point, they might be able to beat it because the sales programs change. So that's that's a possibility there. But if you're going, let's say at nine a.m. to one guy, and you spend a couple hours there, and then you take his quote, and you go down the street to the other guy. Uh, they're not going to blow you away with uh, a, a difference in price. Are like these said, quotes? It, but it's not going to be anything crazy. Are these quotes on paper? Uh, sometimes they are. Yeah. And sometimes they're not. Uh, sometimes some dealerships will not give you a quote on paper because they don't want you to take the quote and take it to the other guy. That's what I was going to ask you. So you know, you go to the next guy, and then he says, "Well, where's the quote?" And he goes, "He wouldn't give it to me." Then he goes, "How how can I trust you?" Yeah, that's 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 something that happens. Me personally, I always give someone a quote. I give it to them just to let them know that hey, I'm up front and like, look, this is I'm not I'm not trying to hand anything. This is what I can do. You know, if this works for you, great. But at the same time, you also get some people that come in and they say, oh, I just came from so and so, and they're offering me this. Hmm. And when I plug in the numbers, that number is ridiculous. I know they're lying, but I can't tell them they're a liar. You know what I mean? Right. So I have to sort of like dance around. I'm like, oh, wow, that's a, that's a great deal. And 
I sometimes tell people, I'm like, listen, I, I can't do that deal. If I were you, I would go back there right now. Don't stop for red lights. Just go back, sign the papers before they change their mind, and get the car. And then depending on what reaction you give me, I know whether, obviously, you're just lying or you're, you're playing a game. If you tell me, well, what can you do, then I know you were lying. So then I'm going to give you a, a, a number that's eh, reasonable for me. Maybe it's a decent deal for you, not great, because I don't know whether you're just making that up or whether you actually have a, a, a legitimate number in mind. Well, if the other guy's given a great deal and you're only giving a few dollars off, then I'm right. more inclined to go back to the first guy yeah. because a few dollars off doesn't make it worth my while. The other guy actually did his best to come down substantially. Definitely. That would be if... Uh, this is going to sound rough, but mm. if most people had honor, that's what they would do. The problem is everyone has a busy life. People have jobs, they have kids, family, commitments, whatever. People don't want to drive around to three, four, five different dealerships. So they're going to go to that first guy. He's going to offer them a, legitimate, a legitimately good deal. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to come to this guy over here, and he's going to beat it by a couple dollars. The customer is going to say, listen, I don't really have time to go back and forth. Give me this, and I'll take it. Sometimes that dealership takes it because you don't want to drive around to different dealerships. You, you don't want to spend your Saturday or Sunday doing that. Right. Now, how do you know, how does a customer know if there are rebates available or there are upcoming rebates available? Like, how do or, I know next month the car's not going to get cheaper? You're, you're not, you don't know that because, honestly, I don't know that. I get You don't know that? I don't. I, for example, right now, I don't know what the high-end dealerships or even Toyota, Honda, Ford. I don't know what anybody's doing next month. I know what they're doing right now. Sometimes those programs don't come out until the second or third day of the new month. So it is possible that the car you're looking for will be able to lease better or you'll get a better rebate next month. That's always a possibility. Um, that's kind of the risk you run. But are all rebates always made public? Uh, yes. So you don't sort of hide it and see you can get a bigger, better price when the customer walks in and then gives you room for negotiation? So the rebates are always made public. Now, sometimes they're announced via commercial. Sometimes they're not. Where you would find them if you go to the manufacturer's uh, website and you check it out. You, you know, you scour whatever card is you're looking for, whether it's, you know, Toyota, Camry, uh, BMW uh, 5 Series, a Mercedes E-Class, whatever it is you're looking for, mm -hmm. the manufacturers will, will, will post whatever rebates they have on there. Now, in the beginning, we were talking about doing research. When I've gone to buy a car, I've looked at Edmunds.com, MSN Autos, uh, Kelly Blue Book, etc. cetera. Uh, what would you say for each of them? Yeah, I would tell you, every one of those is a waste of time. A waste of time. Don't even don't even bother. And, I, and I'll give you an example. Mm. Kelly Blue Book, for example, gives you what they consider a trade value for your car. Let's say you have a Cadillac DTS 2009. It's got, let's say, 60,000 miles. And Kelly Blue Book tells you, hey, this car in excellent condition is valued at $21,000. So you say, great. You write it down in your, in your pad, and you have this number in your head. And now you go down to the dealership to right. do a trade, and the dealer offers you $16,000. Right away, you're already on the defensive. You think, oh, this guy's trying to rip me off. Kelly Blue Book said this is worth $21,000. I expect $21,000. The better move for you to do is to go to autotrader.com or cars.com and see what the used car market is selling your specific car for. 
Google 2009 Cadillac DTS mm-hmm. for sale and see what dealerships are selling that car for. If dealerships are selling that car for 21000 they're obviously not going to offer you 21000 They have to recondition the car. Maybe you didn't tu- you know, give it a tune-up. Maybe you need new tires. On average, dealerships have to pump about $2,000 into every trade that they take in. That's, like I said, on average. Maybe you're very meticulous about keeping your car clean and service up to date. Not everyone is like that. Some people trade their car in, and there's... The kids left some kind of food under the seat, so there's some kind of mold under there, or they didn't, you know, they don't service the car on a regular basis. So I have to offer you sixteen or seventeen thousand dollars for your car so that I can put the two thousand dollars into it. Now I'm up to nineteen so that I can sell the car for twenty one thousand to make one or two thousand dollars profit. But I also have to be competitive to every other dealership that has a two thousand nine Cadillac DTS for sale. Because obviously if I offered you twenty one then I have to put 2000 into it. Now I have to make $2,000. i am now trying to sell that car for $25,000, $26,000. Everyone else is selling it for twenty one. Who's going to come buy my car? Right. Now, the ethics that are followed by the registered car dealerships, like Honda, Toyota, mm-hmm. seem to be very different from those that are just your second-hand car dealerships. Am I right? Oh, definitely. definitely. All of the major manufacturers have uh, something that's called CSI, which is Customer Service Index. Right. So for example, you come in and you just bought a brand new Audi. Uh, maybe a week or two weeks after you bought the car, Audi is going to send you an email. And they're going to ask you a series of questions from uh, on a grading scale of like 0 to 100%. Mm-hmm. And they're going to ask you to rate your experience. They're going to ask you everything from was the, shop, was the car in showroom condition? Uh, was the place clean and friendly? Were the amenities nice? Was everything explained to you? All litany of questions. There's usually a short survey and a long one. You can choose to take whichever one you want. If a person, for example, the line, the manufacturer that I work for, if you get three bad surveys within a 12-month period, you can be fired. And I live in constant fear that something is going to happen while I'm trying to sell someone a car that's going to lead them to think that I'm being dishonest or I'm trying to pull a fast one over on them. Because the last thing I need is a bad survey. Okay, well, here's, 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 here's my question. Okay, on your uh-huh. side, you get three chances, right? Right. But for me, I'm the buyer. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got the one car. It's been two weeks. I get the survey. During those two weeks, I've had issues. Okay? Uh, maybe the car door is loose or something like that. Right. <clears throat> now, I call you guys up and... Obviously, the car salesman is different from the car service guy. Mm-hmm. The car salesman will say, well, you know, the service department will handle it. And I'm not having a great time with the service. So I feel, okay, the sales and service have let me down because the sales guy keeps passing me to the service and not really taking a personal interest. I get the survey, I fill it, and I say I'm dissatisfied. Right. Is the Audi headquarters going to call me, take personal action? How does that work, or does it? What happens is you fill out the survey, you send it back in. Right. As soon as the survey comes in bad, that immediately sends a red flag to the sales manager of that department, whether you bought a new Audi or let's say a pre-owned one. Let's say you bought a new one. Okay. The new car sales manager gets an immediate alert. Right. He then will find out with the salesperson, hey, what's going on? That mm-hmm. salesperson better know what's going on with your car because right after the day after you bought the car, you should have gotten a call. 
hey, sir, I'm just uh, following up with you. want to make sure everything's fine. Oh, the door's loose? Oh, okay, I'll tell you what. Bring it back in right now. I'll have someone take care of that for you right away. And they should arrange a loaner car for you or get the issue fixed or, in an extreme case, pull you out of that car and into a new one equivalent to what you selected the first time so that we can address the issue. If none of that has happened, then the salesperson deserves the bad survey because it, it, should, it should never happen where you bought a car and then you never hear from the from the. Okay, he the gets the bad survey, but I'm still stuck with a bad experience and a bad car. Well, no, your car should be addressed. Again, if, uh, and I, who's I, going to address it, the dealership or the brand? The, the dealership will address that issue. I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for where no, I work. Just generally, what do you know? That, that issue that issue is addressed immediately. I had a situation uh, maybe about five or six months ago. I sold a brand-new $80,000 convertible to someone. Right. And within three days, there was an issue where, like, the battery died. Uh, we sent a truck to that person's house that day, mm-hmm. picked up the car from his garage, delivered a loaner vehicle to them so that they could get around. We fixed their car, put a new battery in. That's basically all it needed. We programmed the car, took the truck, sent it back out to his house, dropped his car off, picked up the loaner car, and that was it. So that issue was fixed within, uh, I want to say something like a 10-hour period. They didn't have to come in. We took the car to them. We fixed everything. He got the survey. I think two days later, and he said, "Hey, listen. Uh, if I would have gotten this earlier, probably would have would have would have dinged you guys on this. But hey, you guys took care of it. You stood. You you backed up your product. No problem. I'm perfectly happy, and it's been good. I stay in touch with him about once every two or three months just to follow up, make sure everything's fine, whether a little chat or a basic email, and." That's that's how we do it here. So here on the Highline store, that's 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 the process that will, that will take place. So here's my question: I've decided on the car, um, happy to enter into a deal. How do I know the value of a dealership or the reputation of a dealership? Uh, you know, like well, just like you have restaurant reviews. Yeah. Are there dealership reviews? Uh, there's a there's a there's a website called DealerRater.com. Right. And that that one's pretty reputable. Uh, stuff like Yelp. Yes, and uh, Google reviews; those are sort of hit or miss because you're going to get people that you know want to complain because sometimes people are unreasonable. We've had situations where people have a ten-year-old car, mm-hmm. and they bring it in, and the service guy is home. Hey, look, this is going to cost you know whatever fifteen hundred dollars to fix it, and for whatever reason, they think that the fifteen hundred dollars is is a ridiculous price. Well, as a buyer, you know what? I'm looking for the complaints because I already know that the brand stands for uh, a high standard. Right. I'm looking for the complaints. So what, are the, what, are the nature, what is the nature of the complaints? Well, like I said, stuff, uh, Yelp, yeah, some of them are legitimate, uh, but some of them are just people looking to complain. You know what I mean? It's a, right. The Internet is, is, is hit or miss on a lot of stuff. It is. Just, you, I guess you're looking for a, a general trend of the comments, right? If there right. seems to be a constant theme. Right. That, uh, you know, the service manager is rude or, or they don't service your car and false promises. And if you see more than one or two comments, you start getting a general picture of the dealership. No, yeah, that, that is possible. But what also what I would tell you to look for, if, if the dealership has been awarded any kind of um, – uh, like award from the manufacturer, like mm-hmm. uh, center of the year, or uh, you know any, any any kind of award like that. Those those places are usually very on the up and up. 
because it's very difficult to get those awards from the manufacturers. You have to have uh, almost like a 99% approval rating from customers, which is very difficult to get. So if you see if, if your local dealership or for a dealership that may be a little further away from you, but you know you don't mind taking a drive to make sure that you get good service, go to those places because the, the, the manufacturers take those awards very seriously and the criteria to earn them are very stringent. Well, overall, I mean, it's a wonderful negotiating experience on the positive side. You know, the buyer wants to pay as least as possible and the seller wants to sell for as much as possible. Right. But are there tricks that the buyers should be aware of? Because every time you go in and, and you seem to have reached a good deal, then you go into the uh, finance office mm-hmm. and then there's another sales process starts again. Extra warranty. Um the tire insurance, that's a new one. And then I, I went to buy a car, and uh, my wife loved the car. She loved the salesman more. And he sold her something which I still find very fascinating, a, a coat of liquid that you put on the windscreen that makes it clearer than other windscreens. Wow, that'll tell you what, you got me on that one. I, I don't... Oh, they they got know, me on that one too, that and they said, you know, it's almost going to be like HD. You feel like it's an invisible, uh, even if it's raining, the, the the visibility is so clear. The woman bought it. Hmm. Well, I, I can tell you this: depending on what kind of car you're buying, right? Let's say, for example, um, now let's say you're getting, you're going with a Mercedes. Okay. Mercedes, uh, a lot of them have what's called run flat tires, and those are not the same ones that you saw maybe five or six years ago. Run flat tires these days are very good. And the point of them is that you can run over a nail or blow out a tire, and you can still drive anywhere from like 50 to 100 miles. To All my friends who've had that have complained incessantly. Right. Now, it is highly encouraged that you get the tire warranty on if you have a, a car with run flat tires. The reason being is, uh, again, BMW, Mercedes, Audi, even if you got the entry-level car, yeah. those tires are about three or $400 a piece. If you have the misfortune of driving in Manhattan and you hit a pothole, and not only do you mess up your tire, but let's say you mess up the rim as well, mm-hmm. you're now looking at about eleven or $1,200 to get that fixed. Each time it happens. And you know we all know that there's probably a million potholes in Manhattan alone, so it's possible that it can happen. Uh, you don't have to get the tire warranty. You can simply say, hey, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. Let's move on, and that's it. But if you seem like you're sort of interested in getting it, they're going to kind of keep sort of, you know, applying pressure to see if they get you to buy. Now, I've noticed with the warranty, mm-hmm. there is no MSRP and invoice price on that. So can you not negotiate the warranty? Uh, it depends what kind of warranty you're offering. Some of them are... are no, the tire, sorry, the, the tire insurance. That's what I'm asking. The tire, tire insurance can be... There, there, is some, there is some maneuver room there. Uh, Percentage-wise, how much? It depends on what car. If you, let's say you're looking at a Ferrari, that tire warranty is going to be very expensive. And there is no, there is no wiggle room there. That's okay. it. This is, what, this is what it costs. You know, you either want it or you don't. Right. Um, but again, if you're buying, I don't know, let's say you're buying a, uh, a Camry, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you can, you can, you can negotiate that. How much room do you have usually? Uh, some, I don't know, on a Camry, I'd say a couple hundred dollars, two, three, four hundred bucks, nothing more than that. That's the wiggle room or that's the cost? No, that's the wiggle room. 
That's the cost is going to be somewhere in like the, I'd say anywhere between twelve and maybe sixteen hundred dollars for a car of that of that of that caliber. Over the course of what, three four years? Yes, usually three years. It's going to be three years, sometimes five years, depending on which one you want. Surprisingly, the difference in price between the three and the five years is not that much. But that all depends if you're going to keep the car that long, right? Right. Obviously, if you're leasing, just stick with the three-year plan or don't take it and just roll the dice. If you're the type of person that you don't really have tire issues, then I would just roll the dice. But if you're a person who you've blown out five, six, seven tires over the last two years, then obviously you need that you need that tire warranty. Now, a lot of it's the... Um, it's definitely cheaper to do that than, than to, to replace the tires every time it happens. Now, the car dealers are also offering the preset service package. Yes, that uh, again depends what kind of car you have. If you have a, uh, a let's stick to the line. medium end car. Let's stick to the medium end. Okay, if those cars um, is it is it worth it? Uh, I don't know. I guess it would depend on how much they're charging for it. Uh, if you're looking at something in like the fifteen hundred dollar range, maybe two thousand over many years, mm -hmm. then yeah, fine. I, I tell you, it, it, it's probably worth looking into. But if it's only but that covers everything in a service? Labor, parts, brakes? Again, you got, you got to read the fine print. Different manufacturers have different ones. Uh, the mainstream ones typically do not cover labor. You'd have to pay that separate. If that's wow. the case, don't even bother. Uh, just take your car to like Jiffy Lube, you know, Pet Boys, something like that. It'll be a fraction of the cost, and that's it. You're done with it. The dealerships are always more expensive when it comes to service because the mechanics are trained by the manufacturers and then they use uh, the official parts. Something like uh, Pet Boys or something, they might use aftermarket parts, uh, which, you know, it's not necessarily bad, but they're not as good. And the guy who's working on the car, technically, yes, he is a mechanic, but he may not be an expert on your specific car's engine. Now, out of all the extras that are offered after you've negotiated the price of the car, what's the one package that you should get, definitely? Uh, that's that, that's a tricky question. Um, it depends on the person who's driving the car. If you're the person you you really beat up your car, you're hard on the brakes, you 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 like to drive fast, you stop suddenly. Well, what about your uh, typical soccer mom? The typical soccer mom, honestly, uh, probably doesn't need anything. Probably doesn't need anything. Again, we're talking about the average yes. flying cars. Uh, you probably you probably don't need anything because uh, she she's. You know, she normally doesn't speed, not hard on the brakes. Um, no, but there's a lot of traffic lights, you know, stop, go, stop, go. Yeah, but, I mean, the, the brakes are, 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 are designed to handle that. Right. You know I mean, even, even I mean, people sell cars in, in, in Manhattan, and there's no place in the world where, where, where traffic is bad as there. And, they, you know, brakes are going to stand up, you know, 20, 30,000 miles, no problem. That's, that's the average lifespan on brakes. I'm talking about the person that likes to speed. They're on the highway. They speed and they slow down suddenly to get off on their exit, or, or they speed from one traffic light to the next and then hit the hit the brakes. The person that likes to, to 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 peel out at the green light because they want to race the guy next to them or look cool to the the young lady standing on the corner. That guy should probably consider the uh, maintenance package or a, a, a tire warranty. Okay. Now, when you when you buy the car, should you also be servicing it from there? I would say yes. Uh, the reason being is usually you're going to be treated better 
at the place you bought the car than mm. you would somewhere else. For example, let's say um, where I work, we have a whole fleet of loaner cars. So you right. bring your car in, and if you schedule the appointment, we give you a loaner car. We don't charge you for it. All you have to do is bring it back with a full tank of gas the same way we gave it to you. Right. Some dealerships will not give you a loaner car if you did not buy the car from them. So oh, okay. you were shopping for the best deal, but now it's time for you to service your car. You're going to obviously want to go service the car at the place that's closer to your house. Yes. So now you didn't buy the car there because they didn't give you the best deal. Now they're not giving you a loaner. Now you're sort of like in a weird position. Here's a question for you. Has, over time, has the quality of cars with the different makes become more or less equal? Because, you know, you look at Honda, Toyota, Mercedes, they all have the leather seats, the power steering, the navigation system, the electric windows, electric mirrors. So really, you know, when you're buying a European car, you don't need, the only difference is you're really paying for prestige and status. It, it depends on the the brands. For the most part, American cars and Japanese cars, the, I'm going to be honest with you, those, those are pretty equal across the board. Right. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, yes, the Japanese car was better than the Ford or the Chevy. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that, that playing field is pretty much level. Uh, Toyota and those guys are living off reputation that they earned 20 years ago. Right. The American cars are just as good as the Japanese ones. Where you're going to see a difference performance-wise is when you jump from a Toyota... And how do you define performance? Uh, handling, acceleration, um, amenities, stuff like that. Like, obviously, a, a, a car that you pay $25,000 for is not going to be the same vehicle that you pay $50,000 for. That car is going to be different. Now forget about options. Just handling and performance in terms of acceleration, uh, braking, handling, that stuff, is that, that car is going to blow away the other one. But obviously, you're paying a lot more money, so you should expect to get better performance. But a $20,000 Japanese car compared to a $20,000 American car or a $20,000 Korean car, those are all going to be about the same. And on a final note, it still seems to be a man's world because I don't see very many female salespeople. Very, very heavily male-dominated. And even fewer Uh, female customers. They always send the man in. uh, Yeah, I I think a lot of women sometimes feel intimidated is that it's going to be that people see the car buying experience as a confrontation when it doesn't have to be. Right. Uh, a lot of women will come in and they'll, they'll shop around and they say, oh, I have to discuss this with my husband. To be fair, the wives will get a lot of men that say they have to discuss this with their wives. Mm. Uh, if you're shopping for a car and you are not the decision maker, I would encourage you to not go by yourself. Right. And the reason I say that is because I've had many situations where someone comes in towards the end of the month and they're looking not so much for a specific car. They want a specific payment. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had one, a guy maybe two months ago. He wanted he wanted to basically stretch into a higher-end car. He was, uh, he was driving, I think, a Honda. He wanted to bump up into, like, a luxury car. Right. He made a decent amount of money. But he said, listen, I need to pay about $550 a month. I'm paying $499 now. I can afford $550. My wife will kill me if I pay anything, you know, over four ninety nine. I say, all right, I understand that. I happen to have a car that I had to get rid of. It's been here almost 200 days, and my boss was like, hey, listen, the next guy that comes in here is asking for a, a payment. This is the car. Put him in this, and let's be done with it. So I said, all right, hey, sir, let's tell you what. You hit the jackpot. I have this car. 
I got to get rid of it. You give me something like $3,000 total, and you get this car for $549. This was a $72,000 sedan. Had to get rid of it. It was a normal color, like a navy blue. And But he said uh, $499. He said $499, but again, he was driving a Toyota that he was paying $499. I was offering him a, a high-end vehicle right. worth almost double what his car cost, actually almost triple if I think about it. And I was asking him to pay an extra $50 a month. That guy even said it. He's like, hey, listen, I know this is a great deal. And I told him, I have one of these. If you don't take it now, I'm going to pitch this to the very next person that sits at my desk. And once I sell it, I cannot recreate it. Long story short, the guy said, no, I'm going to come back the next day. I got to go talk to my wife. I said, all right, no problem. I let him go. Uh, the next morning, somebody came in. I gave him the exact same sales pitch. The guy said, hey, I'll take it. A few hours later, the guy from the night before shows up with his wife. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I sold that car three hours ago. And I don't have another one that I can do that, that deal. The, the same equivalent car were, would have been something like $6,000 signing, and he was going to pay almost $850 a month. Obviously way outside of his budget, and he left disappointed. To me, no skin off my nose. I ended up selling the car, got the uh, what they call the spot bonus for it. Right. So, hey, I moved on to something else because I, I wasn't going to have another car to get into that guy's budget. Hmm. So you have to – that's where the research comes in. If you do your research – You'll be able to recognize a good deal when you see one. That way you can take advantage of it right away. But if you don't do your research, you're not really sure, then you're not going to really know. Well, thanks for... spend the rest of his life looking for that deal. He's not going to find it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for the fascinating insight, buddy. Thank you very much. Well, hey, it's been my pleasure. All the best. Thank you. Take care. And, hey, ha happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And you, sir. God bless. Take care. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. For more fascinating stories, log on to foxnewsradio.com and click onto the VIP Jazz World Report. And keep your ears open for the next airing of the report coming soon.